0: Now let's turn to 1st Peter. The third chapter we will go on in our studies in 1st Peter. You recall that the main theme of 1st uh, Peter is uh, victory over suffering. Victory over suffering. This is the great theme of 1st uh, Peter. The reason why Peter wrote this letter was to comfort the Christians which were suffering for their faith. And as they are suffering for faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter again and again points them to the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered for us. The just for the unjust. The righteous for the unrighteous. He suffered for doing good, for witnessing for the truth. He died for our sins. He didn't die for his own sins. He died for our sins. And as the Christians are suffering in Peter's day and throughout the ages, we should always look to Jesus, who died on Calvary's cross for us. So this is the theme the suffering saints for today again. And we will read from um, chapter 3, 13 to 4, verse 7. We will end with 4, 7. And my, may I t- uh, suggest again that we read this portion of scripture together. Do we all have it? First Peter Third chapter, we start with verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if he follows of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are he, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that he suffer for well-doing, than for evil doing. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water, the like figure where unto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of man, but to the will of God. For the time passed of our life may suffice us to have brought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in speciousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Wherein they think it strange that he run with them the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Who shall give account to him? that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be he therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Maybe we might feel that uh, those words of Peter, speaking about suffering for the saints, for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is not so relevant, is not so real, is not so present for us here anymore. Yet let me remind you that there is a suffering church of Jesus Christ that that there are many saints suffering for their faith. And let me point out 1 Timothy 3.12. Maybe it will be good that we look at this verse. Uh, Please turn with me to 2 Timothy 3.12, where it says something very important about suffering. Second Timothy 3, 12. It says here, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. How many? Only those behind the Iron Curtain, today in the communist countries, those who is meant here It says simply all that will live godly in Christ Jesus, all who are willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ will suffer, all, all. And if you never suffered for the Lord Jesus Christ and for your faith, faith, then something is wrong. Maybe you never Really surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something wrong. For it says, All we will come again and again in our lives if we want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ at some points where we have to make a decision to follow the way of the world, to be obedient to someone who has something from us which is not in accord with the word of God. And we always, if we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, will suffer. My own life was this cause. I had to leave my home. I lost my job and so many things. And you will tell the same stories If you have followed the Lord Jesus and you are following him, you will suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in all these afflictions, we are pointed to Jesus Christ. You know, in Matthew 5.40, the Lord Jesus himself speaks about the suffering disciples, his people, and he said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And this is what it says here too, be glad. Be happy. That means we are greatly blessed. And it says in verse 13, right from the start there, And who is he that will harm you? Who is he that will harm you if we follow the Lord Jesus Christ? And I believe that Peter had in mind this great and wonderful gift of eternal life which Jesus Christ brought to us. Not really anyone will be able to harm us. As he said in 1 Peter, uh, in his uh, first uh, chapter, that we have this precious gift of salvation which no one will touch, and which is in heaven for us. And only can anyone touch us, uh, touch us, if the Lord let it be so. Peter himself went through a lot of suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read. It In uh, in Acts 12, chapter, where they said that at one point the young church of Jesus Christ was uh, terribly persecuted and destroyed here and there, and that Herod the king took James, the brother of John, and killed him by the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he took Peter too. And Peter was put into prison. And what did Peter expect? His death. The very same thing, what happened to James, will now happen to Peter. But see his calmness. And he is content. At night, he is sleeping between two soldiers, two guards. And he is chained with two chains. And he sleeps. It's hard to understand, isn't it? Wonderful. Great. Because he is resting completely in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is able to sleep. In the night before his death, he is able to sleep. Wonderful. Then the word of God tells us, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. In verse 15. Someone suffers, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. What means sanctified? It means to set apart, to give the Lord God. And here Peter is speaking about the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord God, in your heart, is Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Son of God. He has to take his rightful position in our hearts. Let me tell you this, if he doesn't have this rightful position in your heart, and he is not sitting on the throne of your heart, your faith will fail when persecution comes. If anything is between you and your God, your faith will fail. And it is good that we really get the thought home in our hearts that there might be terrible times ahead for the Church of Jesus Christ in America. Yes, the Lord Jesus is coming, but we might go through some deep trials, and all those will fall by the wayside where the Lord Jesus is not on the throne of their heart. The story is told of a man who was put to death, going to be burned to death, for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had a chance to talk to his executor, who was going to put him to death, and he witnessed to him about his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it was that about this act should take place and he should be killed, he said to this man, come over once more, and he said, put your hand on my heart. If it now beats faster, don't believe in that Christ of which I told you. I wish there would be a translation of the book. this it's, 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 it's in German. And it's, the title is, Out of Darkness Do I Praise Thee, And this book contains letters and testimonies of Christians in prison of the Third Reich before they were put to death for their faith. You should read that book, tremendous, Jochen Klapper who was put to death, this beautiful poetry which he wrote home about his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And although I have to go through the valley of death, you are with me, wonderful and great. There's a testimonies in of two students, the Scholz couple, a brother and a sister, studying at the university in Munich. They wrote their own tracks. At that time, no one could print the gospel tract. They wrote their own tracks and distributed them in one of their tracks they spoke about the coming kingdom of the lord jesus christ that the lord jesus christ at one day will put aside all kingdoms and governments of this earth and that he will sit on the throne of david forever the nazis couldn't take this this is too much their teaching was that the third reich was an eternal kingdom Then nothing would come after it. We had the First Reich and we had the Second Reich and now we had the Third Reich and you would have made a mistake if uh, in in a test you would have answered this question what comes after the Third Reich, you would have said the Fourth Reich, you would have been through. But the Nazis couldn't take this and they were put to death within a week there was Wilhelm Busch, a wonderful preacher of the word of God to the German youth. He was a youth preacher, well known over Germany. He swept hundreds of young people in Germany into the kingdom of God. This was too much for the Nazis. They put him into prison. And when he got into prison, he got into his cell, and he looks through the window, he's behind the iron bar, he looks through the windows and he sees across his window a huge brick wall, the wall of the prison, outside. And at once he can't help but think this is a fantastic soundboard for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as soon as he is alone, he goes on his knees and says, Lord, if you want me to preach here, let me do so. And here he is standing behind the iron bars at his window, facing that brick wall, and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many got saved. The windows would open, and the prison God would would be saved, and prisoners. Man of God, long forgotten in Germany. This book has only printed once. It didn't have a second printing. I gave it to someone because I was blessed so much. I forgot to whom. I never got it back. I'm boring. I would like to have it back. Anyone gets across this book wonderful. Out of darkness have I praise thee. Oh, my dear people if we would know what is going on right now in this world where people are suffering for faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One day we will know and we will praise the Lord God together. They have sanctified the Lord God in their hearts. The Lord God, Christ Jesus, was on the throne of their hearts and so they could face death. If anything is between God, our Savior, and you, we will fail when persecution will come. And you will experience it. When it will come, persecution of, of the Church of Jesus Christ in America, you will see how many will fall at the wayside. There is of course another suffering, and Peter is not not talking about this, but I feel that I should mention it. This is the suffering for sin. There are many people suffering in this world because of their sin. Those unsaved and saved ones. Then if anyone being a Christian and he has been overtaken by sin, there's only but one way to get right with God, to confess our sin. I know a man, and he is very much upon my heart, a Christian worker, and he has failed tremendously in the position the Lord has put him. And now all things are happening. Out of his position now, where the Lord has called him. The home breaking apart. Now he is so desperate. Can't get over it, what he has done. How deep he had sinned. How can he get back? Yes, we can get back. But the Word of God tells us. It is by far better if we suffer for the good, for doing good. This is a great thing. If we suffer for evil doing, it is a grievous thing. But there's always the way back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he will re-establish us. Now Peter is pointing the Christian To the Lord Jesus Christ. He said for also in verse 18 for Christ also has once suffered for sin and the word also refers to us as we suffer and as we have to suffer so the Lord Jesus suffered for well-doing. For Christ also has once suffered for sins. And I really have to stop at this word once. He suffered once for our sins. This has never to be repeated again, the sacri- sacrifice on Calvary's cross. Jesus is sacrificed on the old altars of the Catholic Church day by day. And they claim that Jesus is actually present in his body and in his blood and that a mass has the same power to forgive sins as has the sacrifice, the actual sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. If this is true, then only one man Celebrated by the Pope in Rome once in his lifetime would be sufficient to take the sin of the world. Only once did he die. The word of God speaks about the two comings of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he once came to die for our sins, the second time he will come in glory. In Hebrew 9.28 it says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So this work of Calvary will never be repeated. He paid the price for all sins at all times. He is the only just person which ever lived. It says here that he once suffered for sins the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. Is he your Saviour? This is the question. Is he your Saviour? But well, let us go on, and uh, we have a wonderful portion in 1st uh, 19 to 22, a very difficult one. And you know, as uh, I I'm studying now 1st Peter for two months, and I'm reading it every t- every day, at least once through. You know, as I uh, came across these verses, I wanted to look up all the commentators. I have, and I have quite a few. And I went in the library downstairs, and you know what? They all differ very much. They are no help at all, as far as this portion is concerned. So what should I do? Who am I? So I pray about it. And it's not so difficult at all. Wonderful, the word of God. So that is what it says here that Jesus was put to death in the flesh but quickened by the Spirit, it speaks about his suffering and it speaks about his resurrection, by which, namely by his Spirit, he also went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the Ark was a preparing wherein view that is eight souls were saved by water. First question Which time is he talking about? The days of Noah, right? When? Well, there was before the flood, right? What is the prison here? What is the prison here? It speaks about those disobedient people which didn't listen to the word of God. You can only be disobedient if you have heard a commandment or if you have, if you know in your heart what to do and you don't do it. Anyone not knowing anything can't, uh, uh, can be dis, uh, disobedient. It's an impossibility. Well, many commentators say that uh, Noah preached to the people and that Jesus, that his spirit was in him. I don't think so. It uh, says here, and this is only my suggestion, that it says that Jesus went. He went. He made a journey. He made a trip to that prison. But let me say this, that as we read through the first time maybe, we might think, and that is what many commentators say, that there is a second chance for those souls in prison which have died in disobedience, that there is a second chance that Jesus went to that place which is called Haid or a Sheol in the Hebrew, which is the place where all of the Old Testament people went, those which died. And I think that the Lord Jesus us a little bit the curtain about this portion or this subject when he talks about the rich man and Lazarus, uh, which we, this story we find in Luke. And as it might be good that we turn to it a moment. That is Luke sixteen. You know this story well in um, Verse 19 of Luke 16, there is the rich man and there is Lazarus in verse 20. The rich man doesn't care anything about the poor nor does he care about his relationship to God for he lives the real life of this world. And then there is Lazarus at his door And he is desiring to be fed just by the crumbs which are falling from the rich man's table and no one cares about him. He is a faithful man. He believes in the Lord God and uh, both die. Then we see that the poor man is carried by angels in verse 22 into Abraham's bosom and that the rich man also died, and that both were in that place where the dead go. But in that place, that there are two compartments, if I might say so, for there, where they were in hell, in that place, this rich man was suffering tremendously and he saw Lazarus. He saw Abraham. So that we can say that this is the unseen world. This is the place where the departed uh, departed human spirits are between death and resurrection. There is a day when the wicked dead will be raised. For what? To what? To the white throne, the final judgment in Revelation 20. And now we see that there is a gulf fixed between those righteous Old Testament people and the wicked ones. That no one can gulf this river. It says here, and beside in 26, and beside all this, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. This is an impossibility. This is final. And this is their place. If Jesus would have gone preaching the gospel there, He preached there, and I believe with all my heart that he made a proclamation there what has happened on Calvary's cross, that now salvation has come. If he would have preached the gospel with the possibility of making a decision for Jesus Christ, then the hell would be empty in less than a minute. No one would be stupid enough to stay any minute, any longer in that place. People are stupid enough to say no to Jesus Christ in this world, but their minds are blinded. But I tell you, if we for a little while would suffer hell, we would grab that chance. No one would be left there. Doesn't it say in Ephesians That Jesus went to take the captivity captive. The Apostles' Creed puts it between his death and resurrection. It seems that the Old Testament saints where Jesus made the proclamation of salvation on Calvary's cross that he took them with him. I don't know. It is a suggestion. Some things are not too clear. You know, Peter speaks about Paul and he said, oh, oh, brother Paul, he writes some difficult portions which are hard to understand. But Peter wrote some hard portions too. And probably some things we have to leave where they are. But let me make it very clear that not a second chance is suggested here. No one will have a second chance. We will die and the wicked one will stand before the judgment of God. And then we come, and this is a marvelous portion and time is going on, and I wish we could stand here the whole time. He speaks about the days of Noah. The days of Noah, 120 years was Noah preaching to a world which did not listen. Remember that it speaks about the disobedience. They knew what to do, these people. They didn't repent. And 120 years did he preach. Jesus likens the days of Noah with our days today. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of man. And this is so wonderful to see for our day, that the long-suffering of God, he doesn't want to let anyone go. He wants that we all come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is so tremendous when we read about those days. First, it is in chapter 6 and 7 of Genesis, and we should look it up when we get home. It speaks then finally of this that Noah was preparing the ark. He built 120 years on it, had many workmen working for him. By the way, there are many people giving a hand in Christian service today. Those workmen, that didn't believe, they didn't get saved but they worked. Many people, for various reasons, are working in Christian work. They are not safe. They had plenty of time, yet they wouldn't listen. And then it says, finally, that Noah went in this ark, and it's so important and wonderful to see that uh, in verse 16 and uh, 17 of chapter 7, it says that the Lord shut him in. The Lord had helped him in the first place to get all those animals in. I believe said, no, I couldn't do it. The Lord was in it. He had his hand in it. I believe it with all my heart. How could he do it? Just eight people to get them all in. The Lord did it. And so... Noah left it to the Lord too. When he was in, he didn't shut the door. He went in, we read in verse 7 of uh, chapter 7. In verse 16, after quite a while, the door was yet open. No one got in. No one else. So only eight were safe, which is a tremendous lesson. And then Peter turns in 21 to the teaching of salvation and baptism. It is a real wonderful portion. I wish we would have uh, plenty of time to talk about this. The flood speaks in a wonderful way about baptism. The two aspects of baptism. First, baptism into the Spirit... To be baptized into the Spirit, for you know in, uh, in Corinthians 12:13, 1 Corinthians 12:13 it says that we are all baptized into one spirit, in one spirit, into the body, namely into the body of Jesus Christ, into the church of Jesus Christ, into the family of Jesus Christ. This baptism everyone must have in order to be saved. This is the spiritual baptism. You know, the flood speaks in a figure about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks about our spiritual baptism, namely, our death in the Lord Jesus Christ, death unto sin, death unto the world. Then it speaks of our burial with Jesus Christ the waters of the flood, and then the new life and resurrected life. There are those two aspects of baptism here. For by one Spirit are we all baptized. And this baptism everyone must have in order to be saved. The Word of God teaches this so very clear, and it is so wonderful to know this, that all who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ have been baptized by the Holy Spirit into this body, into this family of God. This has nothing to do with water baptism, but there is a wonderful connection to it. And I try to put it in such a simple way that we may understand. First of all, the salvation, the baptism of the Spirit. The flood speaks about this. You know that Jesus is either our Savior or Jesus will be our judge. And the flood, the great flood, speak in a wonderful picture of that. The very waters which came in judgment over the people, these waters were the means to save those eight souls. For those waters lifted up the ark over the judgment of God, over the dead people of this world, and they were saved. See that? Salvation, judgment. So this is so wonderful to see. And Jesus, all the judgment of God over our sins, had fallen on Jesus. The Old Testament speaks about this, the Psalm speaks about this, that Jesus in his anguish is crying out that all the flood, the waters of the flood are going over him. Right? He has suffered for us, the just for the unjust. And this is a beautiful and wonderful picture of salvation, isn't it? So Jesus is either our Savior or he is our judge. This story is told of a man and the judge the way back in a village in Canada there was a judge and he was walking the streets of his village and all of a sudden down the street with a great noise there comes a wagon with two horses in front and a desperate man the horseman on top of it and the horses going wild with a tremendous speed did you ever see Watch such a scene, I have seen it. And this judge, walking along the street, coming from a farm himself, had grown up on a farm. And he was a brave man. He jumped into the street. And here he is hanging on the brittles of the horses. And he brings them to a stop. And this man, this horseman comes down and said, You saved my life. And the judge said, praise God, I did. A few years later, there's a court scene. And there's a man brought in front of the court and this judge who has murdered his brother. And the verdict is given, death. And when it is spoken over him, the man in his emotion jumps up and he says, But, O Honor, don't you remember me? You are the very one who saved my life a few years ago. And with a very quiet voice, but very distinctive, the judge tells him, At that time I was your savior, now I'm your judge. Nothing in the world can save you from your death. So this is so wonderful to see. So I want to make this very clear. The two aspects of baptism, the word of God is speaking to us here in this scripture portion. That there is the baptism into the spirit, which is into the family of God and into the body of Jesus Christ. That every believer belongs to the church of Jesus Christ. And this is the baptism which each one must experience in our lives. There is another baptism. This is water baptism. And Peter speaks about this too. And he makes it very clear that this doesn't save us. That he is not talking about putting away or washing away of sins by going through water baptism but he says this is a good conscience toward God and this is simply what baptism stands for that that was happened inside we openly express and there's a wonderful picture oh we have to close this to bed again i get stuck with baptism like a few weeks ago but yet it is not the invention of the baptists And uh, it is commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a good conscience. We say in German, we have a saying in German, it says, ein gutes Gewissen ist ein sanftes Ruhekissen. It means, what does it mean? I wrote it down here. A good conscience is a tender and soft cushion to rest on. And isn't this wonderful? And isn't this true? There is no greater joy than doing the will of the Lord. Anyone following the Lord through this water baptism, this is a great joy. Because we have done the will of the Lord, and you know very well that this is commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, this is not the invention of uh, the Baptist. And here, again, the uh, the flood of Noah is speaking about this that we are buried with Jesus into water, into the judgment, because this is a picture of the death, the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we are getting up, we walk in the newness of life. There's a tremendous meaning to it. I remember a lady, you know, she had invited the preacher, and I know the preacher in England, we went over there. She had invited the preacher for dinner, you know. And you know how it goes. We sometimes do this too, and the pastor preaches. And then we go home, and uh, the wife is preparing the meal because the pastor is coming for dinner. So this is wonderful, and it was the same scene, you know. And uh, so the pastor had to talk with quite a few people, and it gets quite late. The lady sitting at home has the dinner ready, and she has a few minutes. Lady sitting at home has the dinner ready, and she has a few minutes. She goes to piano, and since she loves to sing, she sang, "I will follow Jesus." And on top of her voice, she is shouting, "I will follow Jesus! I will follow Jesus!" And here is a pastor walking in, and she is a lady, you know, coming for years to the church, loves to come, loves to sing. She never followed the law through baptism. And as she is singing, you know, I will follow Jesus. The pastor comes in from behind, you know, and looks over her shoulder and says, except through three feet high water. <laughs> and how true this is. <laughs> it's wonderful. I hope that I expressed it uh, in such a way that we understand it is not our invention. It's a wonderful picture of salvation and then of calling the Lord through baptism that is what Peter is talking about so clearly. Please look it up again. And may the Lord bless you real well and real good. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for thy wonderful word, Lord. You have given so much this morning. I couldn't get through, Lord, but bless this dear people. Lord, give them the same blessing as you gave me when I was preparing this wonderful and great lesson, Lord. Thank you so much for salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ, for the gift of eternal life. Now put your hand upon each one, oh, that we all may follow the Lord Jesus in serving him. Lord, we have a wonderful opportunity to serve him, to live for him, and to be ready for suffering too when it may occur and come over us, Lord. And we leave it all with thee. Bless us throughout this day. Put your hand upon dear pastor and all the people who will listen in the coming meeting, Lord. And may it be a wonderful day of fellowshipping with our Lord Jesus Christ and among each other. In Jesus' name, amen.